We are back, everybody, with episode 21 of the Jader and Kyle Show. Coming back at you, two shows, one week. Uh, it's not going to be a regular thing, everybody, but we are making up for last week. Uh, sorry about the delay so far. Uh, we had a couple of pre-production hiccups, but here we are. We're ready to bring you guys some content. Jader, you look tired, man, but you're doing better. How, how's everything going? Tired, man. I'm tired, man. I, You know what? I... We I shit the bed, dude. I completely forgot today was episode twenty one. We should have been drinking something, you know, celebrating our twenty first episode. You're right. Uh, I don't have it in me right now, but uh, <laughs> to be continued because from now on we can definitely drink. I mean, I drink. I think I drank enough on on the uh, show. Yeah. Um, for the uh, to the countdown to twenty one, so it's kind of it's funny that we're not. But uh, but yeah, man, I'm tired, man. I feel like there's not enough hours in the day anymore. It's I'm constantly doing something. I kind of love it, but I kind of hate it at the same time. Yeah. Um. And but yeah, that's it, man. I'm just I'm ready to talk this movie, man. I love what we're gonna talk about today. Uh, little little sneak peek right here. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, boy, if you guys weren't aware, Pulp Fiction is the movie <laughs> we're gonna be covering today. But before we get started, I want to let everyone know I did something little uh interesting today, which I was gonna actually mention. How did that go, man? Let the let the let our audience know what's going on. I can give a brief review right now. I saw the M new mutants in theaters today and it was definitely an experience getting to go back. It was really nice. I walked into the theater and they're like, you're the our first customer in five months. So that was a really <laughs> cool like feeling to have going in there. I'm the first guy back. There's about 15 of us in the theater. Um, the movie itself, not very good. <laughs> it's I can understand yeah. why it's been pushed back four years. It's not bad. It's just not something you really need to rush out to see. Um, something you could watch on HBO in a couple months and get the same experience. It's reminded me of Suicide Squad, which I know is like a cancerous term for people. Good characters in a bad movie. That's how I'll put it. Um, people like uh, Anya Taylor-Joy and Macy Williams and even the lead, which I don't even know where her name was. She's a newer actress. Uh, were pretty great, but just the movie itself was so boring. It reminded me of... Uh, um, of glass, them all getting locked into this mental institution. And being did it have any? Um, sorry to interrupt, man, but did it have any like horror element? Because it was supposed to be a horror film, if I recall. It was supposed to be the first uh, horror, like you know, superhero genre film. So did they? And I know supposedly it was supposed to be an R-rated film originally, mm -hmm. and then they edited it to PG-13. Can you notice kind of like some differences that they uh? Like editing or choice choice wise. Yeah, I can know. feel I can feel the studio notes all over this film. Um, you could see that they were going for a horror vibe. There's horror elements there, but it's all cut up to a point where it's not scary anymore. They're not trying to make it scary. It's so that PG thirteen audiences come in there and enjoy it. So make it feel like more of a modern comic book film. There's one F word in there. And that's all you need for a PG-13 film. So, yeah, yeah, it just it feels like the studio stepped all over this and then shipped it off to Disney. And then Josh Boone was like, well, this is what we got. And they kept pushing it back and pushing it back. No reshoots ever happened, contrary to popular belief. And it was just an average, I'd say, subpar film. Yeah, more subpar. You don't need to see it. You're going to forget it right away. I think it might be a little better than Dark Phoenix. But that's not oh, okay. See, you yeah. gave me like a little bump of joy right there because I'm like, is it that bad? That like, is it like X Men Three or Wolverine Origins bad or, or no, it's just no. all right, cool. So it's yeah, not the worst X Men film. 
Yeah, it's uh, just it's, it's there's connections to um, Logan. I'll throw it out there right now, which was okay. disappointing because you know there's going to be no movie after this. There's no con- there's not going to be anything tied up afterwards. You're not going to see someone like an X twenty three and these characters interact. It's kind of done. So okay. that's what we're dealing with here. Um, but this week on the show, guys, we are talking about Pulp Fiction. Jay, is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Um, our guest is no, kinda, no, not that. I'm I'm kind of uh, I I kind of was not going to go back to the theater right away to be completely honest with you but i've been hearing a lot of raves with tenant and you know i am despite popular belief on this show i am a big uh christopher nolan fan so <laughs> I, I try to get tickets for monday because i'm because i'm off on monday and uh yo yo um thank you steve but uh tickets are already sold out for for the imax theater up in uh fort lauderdale for the tenant film um, I keep hearing you have to see it in the big screen. You have to see it in IMAX theater. So I wanted to do it right. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to hear what, not overall your, your, the movie experience, but the theater experience, like you said, there was 15 people obviously scattered when you bought your ticket, was everything almost blocked out that there was only certain seats, like get into that. So yeah, you say, so you pick out a seat. And then they block everything around you. So there's two seats in front of you, each seat on the side of you, and the two seats behind you. It's like a square forms around you. So you're in your own little bubble there. And I was in the biggest theater. There's this massive, I don't know, like over 250-seat theater. And okay. there's only about 15 of us in there. So everyone kind of sat with their parties. And it, it really, it was really nice. There's hand sanitizer all over. There's wipes all over. You have to have your mask on unless you're eating something. Um, so I really enjoyed the experience. There's two theaters and I had been to another one here in Vero, which, uh, which actually was kind of a little more, a little better, but this was an AMC and it, it was just, it was really nice to be back in that theater once again. So, um, I recommend it to people who really want to go back to a theater, but obviously I'm not going to push you to go see something and risk your life if you're not comfortable with it. So that I feel like this, I feel like this is kind of like a smart move on Disney or what have you, because there are people out there that are literally driving three and a half hours. I've seen tweets saying drove three hours. So drove two hours to go see new mutants come out this weekend or, or even Bill and Ted. Cause I know Bill and Ted is, is, is coming out this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, not saying that the theater, like everybody's rushing, but I feel like it was a smart move to uh, finally release New Mutants uh, as your first movie as kind of going back to the theater because it's going to make more money than it probably would have, you know, uh, normally. Excuse me. Okay. Well, I mean, if people want to go back, they want to go back. If not, I just like that, that, that options out there now. And I don't think people should be as scared as they lead them to believe because uh, if you can go to a grocery store, if you can go walk around your Publix, your Walmart, what have you, I think it's that's probably worse than going to a theater. Just my two cents, how I feel about it. Um, but yeah, uh, if you want to go to theater, go see a New Mutants, though. I don't know if that should be your first film. I'm going to go see Tenant Monday, I think, as well, Jader. So maybe we can talk about that next week at some point. But this week, we are talking about Pulp Fiction and... Uh, we're just about ready for our guest. She's getting ready. I think she's almost all set. And when she is, we're going to throw her in here. Jader, you want to set her up? Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. I don't even know why we invited her on this other show, man. Hey, now. We were doing we were doing so much better without – no, I'm just kidding, man. I, I missed her, man. I actually hadn't seen her in a while uh, in like 
I think five or six months at least. It was even pre-COVID. Like we weren't, I haven't seen her in a while. Um, and I got to see her this week for, uh, for Steph's birthday. So I, I did, I, I missed her. I missed her. I can't, you know, I always like to give her a hard time, but, uh, you know, my, my, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Hold so, on. Yeah. Sorry, right. we're having technical technical difficulty tonight, guys. We apologize for this. You know, it happens. Peter, who do we got? Who's our guest? The one, the only, Miss Jessica Nardo. There Hi. She is. Look at that. She Welcome is to the Jader and Kyle show, Nardo. It's been such a long time since we've seen you. Well, I guess Jader said he just saw you, but for us, the audience of CST, it's been such a long time since we've seen you. How you been? I've been good, you know, just... Kind of like everybody else, right? Stuck at home for the most part or the majority of March, April, a little bit of May. Um, I can say that my family is a coronavirus survivor. Um, so I actually dealt with uh, with having one of my kids have it. And, you know, other than that, let's see, started a new job. I have a bunch of pets now. Yeah, I guess a lot has changed within a short amount of time. Yeah. She, she's, she's grown up, Jader. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> A bit. A bit. Um, but that's interesting. I didn't know about your uh, your child or having or someone in your family having the coronavirus. Like, how was that experience? Yeah. So my my stepdaughter. Funny enough. So my stepdaughter got uh, the uh, COVID. Let's be fancy. Um, <laughs> but in our household, all of us tested negative except her. In the households where we think she contracted it. Everybody tested positive except one person. So it was like one of those things that was kind of crazy. It was like, wait, over here, it, obviously everybody got it. And then on this side, nobody got it. And mind you, over there, the person that didn't get it was the person that would wear masks the most often. Hmm. So that's what actually was kind of funny. But she didn't have any of the crazy symptoms. You know, she she was able to, to taste and smell. She didn't have like a, a respiratory problem or anything like that. It really was just headaches. And then... That's not COVID. That's just a headache. But no, see, headache is, I, I was like, oh, you just have a headache because I thought the same thing, but it's actually one of the symptoms um, because she had like a pounding headache. So she had like migraines. Um, and for a 10-year-old, you know, for her, that's like crazy. Um, she also had her iPad right here for the majority of the time. So I was like, yeah, that could be it too. <laughs> that's probably <laughs> it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. say that to, to Adrian all the time. Adrian, all of a sudden he's playing the switch and then he'll stop for like, you know, two hours into the switch. And then all of a sudden he's like, I have a headache. And I was like, stop playing the switch. <laughs> it's it's that simple, dude. But uh, right before we jump into everything, just wanted to see, uh, look at the comments very quick. Uh, yo, yo, from Gilberto Tim saying, you saved me a trip to Connecticut. No, no New York theaters have it. So I'd have to go see the movie over there. Ordering bill that's head at home. Um, and then Steve saying uh, to Nardo, uh, mega chonga. Or, and that you have dollar. <laughs> <laughs> he was tell him, you know what tell steve he ain't got shit man he knows, <laughs> he knows what that is he knows what that is oh, he ain't man. got shit oh um, man okay so let's talk about the movies you gave us nardo so you gave us a list of films to put on the poll uh, we obviously Pulp Fiction won, but there was one that was really leading for a while now, which I thought we were going to end up doing, and that is Robin Hood yeah. in Tights. Uh, why is that film on your list? What makes that one one you wanted to rewatch? So what's what's interesting enough is that every single movie I gave you, number one, my top four never really changed. My top mm -hmm. five changed because the fifth is always interchanging. Um, but 
for me, those those first four movies are always the ones that are my go-to. They kind of, whenever they're on, I'll watch. And they're also movies that no matter when I watch, I kind of always find something new. And even though Mel Brooks has had an extensive, amazing film career, Robin Hood Men in Tights is not as highlighted as, say, like, Year One or, or, or Princess Bride. Uh, he didn't do Princess Bride, sorry. I went, like, nope, wrong. that's Rob Reiner. That's Rob Reiner. <laughs> but, you know, like, for for his particular films, Robin Hood Men in Tights is not up there, ever. Everybody should will, be. Well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Young Frankenstein. They'll talk about Year One. Blaze, Blazing Saddles. Blazing all, Saddles. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all of, all of his Richard Pryor stuff. But they will never talk about this film. And this film actually has some of the most great one-liners, I think, in the history of film. Um, I think that even though it is, and you can ask Jader, I'm not a slapstick person. I don't particularly <laughs> like things that are too wacky. Like my, um, I do. <laughs> my, you know, my significant other, he's always loves loves like you know old school comedy. He will watch John Candy. He'll watch Steve Martin and all this stuff. And I'm always like. I don't understand why it's funny. Like, I know why it's funny, but it doesn't make me laugh. Smart makes me laugh. Mel yeah. Brooks is the perfect combination of smart and that. So that's why, I, la- I mean, I'll still laugh at Farfin Huga as much as I'll laugh at, like, you know, we'll have a hanging or we'll have a wedding. Either way, we're going to have a good time. Like, it's- <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I love that movie, man. So, I, I wanted Robin Hood Men in Tights to win. So there was two actually that I wanted yeah. to win. And it's no disrespect to Pulp Fiction because I love this movie. But I really wanted either Robin Hood or Dogma. Dogma was one that I was pulling for for this week, especially with the Kevin Smith match uh, tomorrow with the, yeah. uh, in the Schmodown. I really wanted to talk Dogma yesterday. Uh, that's oh, your, shit, that's your Schmodown tomorrow? No, not me. Not me. I wish. Oh, I <laughs> no, that's no, you? No. No, 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 no. Kevin Smith is just, he, it's his first, uh, it's his uh, debut tomorrow against Chris Jericho. Um, I don't watch that. So, yeah, it's, gonna, it's more free publicity here. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, shit. Okay, so the whole time I'm here scratching, right? Yeah. Uh, like my screen, because I'm thinking it's dirty or something. And it's actually Nardo's little, uh, the uh, drapes where they're hanging, the little metal ball. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you see it? <laughs> so I'm there like, what the hell's wrong with my Dude. <laughs> yes, that I swear. To God. <laughs> no, you know, no, no, it's it's interesting you bring up that you're not fan a fan of like those older comedies. I'm the same way. I don't think they hold up as well. Stuff like you know, like a Caddyshack or Animal House, those '70s '80s comedies. Yeah, the Jader's making a set. It adds to my hot takes that I usually put on here. Um, you know, Christopher Nolan. So you don't like Airplane? The I naked like gun airplane. movies. Airplanes, naked guns. It's like a hot shot. I'll watch them because it's spooks, like I but... watch them, but like I won't, I won't laugh at them. Yeah, I just don't, oh, no. I don't care for oh. it too much, and and a no lot of them way. don't hold up well. It's something like Revenge of the Nerds. It's very problematic movie nowadays. Like I, I just, I don't, it is. I don't it like is. going it back is. to it at all. Stop so, being a sissy, bro. That's why. Well, that's why <laughs> we talk about Apatow on here. Like we love what Judd Apatow's done with his comedies. He's made, made modern life funny. Finding the the bright spots in those in everyday situations, so that's why I think that brand of comedy is so much better than the old goofy stuff. But that's just me. Um, but today we're gonna be moving into Pulp Fiction, guys. Let's just get into the discussion here. This is our second Tarantino film, and coincidentally, it's going in chronological order of his. So far, career. so good. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Well, we well, did well, Reservoir Dogs. Oh, uh, that's well, right. I think I did, saw that. We did, we did Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. 
Yeah, with John Kaiser. Uh, Kaiser will be back at some point. I'm sure he's upset that he couldn't make it. He, to- I honestly, he told me, he goes, I'm so pissed that you guys are doing Pulp Fiction tonight. I <laughs> but he's, he's out in Vegas and he's working really hard. So he's like, dude, I, there's no way I can. Yeah. So I mean, we'll get him back one day. We can get his thoughts at another point. But uh, this is Nardo's episode here. She's going to talk about Pulp Fiction. So, Nardo, let's start with you. Why is Pulp Fiction on your list? Is this the number one out of your list? Yeah, it's always yeah. good. It's always okay. good. Yeah, yeah. Why? Okay, well, oddly enough, like it. So the first time I saw this movie, it was with my dad. And I was like, probably, I want, okay, so this movie came out when? Uh, 90, 94. 94, right? Yeah. So I was like seven or something like that. I was mm-hmm. young. I really, I sh- definitely shouldn't have been watching the movie. You were eight. I was eight. Yeah, I was like seven Jesus. or eight, but I couldn't remember. Your math no. is great. First of all, it could have been 94 at any time. And if it was closer to one end than the other, you know, it could You're have been born eight. in January. You the were eight. The audience does not need to know that. <laughs> Go. So, so I was eight. I really shouldn't have been watching the movie. But what drew me to the movie was the cover, which was the old school cover of um, Uma Thurman on the bed with the gun and stuff like that. And then I remember yep, watching guy. it this, and thinking that she was that she was so cool. I have the sweater. So like that I poster is on many college dorm walls right now. Absolutely. Uh, well if there Deservedly is college pro, man. maybe well, not you know, right now. You know. <laughs> so when I saw it I just thought man that girl looks so cool. And then when I continued to watch the movie to see how her character progressed, obviously at a young age I didn't get it, but I was like I was just so drawn to like her style. And then as I got older, I watched it and there's something about poly narratives that I feel Quentin just executed so perfectly. You don't have to stay, it's almost the same reason why I'm starting to enjoy watching TV more than watching films, right? Mm. Because it's, I say enjoy, not that I prefer TV than films. I think that films, it takes a lot more of a process, but I really gotta get myself in the mood Versus TV, it's like I'm constantly getting a different vignette of something. And that's what I liked about Pulp Fiction. It's like I'm invested here, but then I get taken out and I get put into something else. And then I get taken out and put a lot of another person, another error that's really popular for that was like it's very much like modern day Shakespeare. You know, if you read, a, if you go back and you read a lot of the uh, comedies, he's really big on like bringing you to different areas. Like, yes, you follow the same characters. But all of his supporting cast, they have their own stories as well. It's you. I mean, it, tragedies are very much focused on like if you read like Romeo and Juliet, Hamlet, Othello, one person, maybe one other person. But the comedies, think of Midsummer's Nights, uh, Much to Do About Nothing. You Not guys, know, yeah, yeah uh, um, you guys know a very popular film that's similar, um, a Taming of a Shrew. Ten Things I Hate About You is about all of them. Yeah, it's not just yeah. it. She is the main one, but it's, so I think that he was able to execute that more. So I, that's what I liked as well. It's like they're all these characters, you have a feeling towards them. There's not one you don't. And it, that's what I appreciated about the movie a lot. Well, I remember because, so I, I was, I obviously wasn't born when Pulp Fiction came out. I had to hear about the history, but I know <laughs> what people talk about the most with it when it first came out is how bold it was. And it's choice of how to tell the story it's like we said we're doing his or films in chronological order he chose not to do that with this film and i think that was a surprise to a lot of people when they went in there and they come out of it like man that was a really cool way to tell this film so like you see jules or you see uh vince die 
And then he's there at the end of the movie. And people are like, what's going on here? And you just kind of have to piece it together. It's a fun puzzle that you want to put together when you're watching this film. And that kind of Reservoir Dogs put Tarantino on the map. And Pulp Fiction was his announcement that I'm here to stay. Uh, yeah. Junior, so what was your experience seeing Pulp Fiction? For same the first thing. Time? Uh, so the first time I saw Pulp Fiction, same time uh, around the same time. I didn't see it in the theater, but I did see it. I did see it at home. Um and it was the whole, I got the whole, this is why you don't do drugs from my mom. Cause again, my mom, I've said, I've said this a million times. My mom's never really been one to tell me like, Hey, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't watch this. Don't do, you know, but that was like, this is why we don't do drugs. That's exactly the talk I got. And I was like, oh, I'm never doing drugs in my life. <laughs> she, did, she did the same thing with leaving a giant crucifix above his bed. Like, this is why we don't have sex. Jesus. <laughs> like, yeah. And she literally put it like over my head. Uh, you know, that's, that's a story for another day when we discovered <laughs> passion of the Christ or something. But, um, what was I going to say? So, yeah, so that was always my first takeaway of that movie, besides it being really cool. And she never let me see the Bruce Willis, um, Ving Rhames scene. The pawn shop. She would, she would never let me see that scene. That's the one time that I can tell you that my mom was like, you're not watching that. Mm-hmm. Um, so she'd always, like, fast forward. Uh, she fast forward that. We, I rented that movie twice. And both times she's like, I'll let you rent it. You have to see it with me, that scene. And uh, she would fast forward that scene. Um Claudio's comment is something I agree with. I saw Guardians of the Galaxy before. That's true. Chaka doesn't feel the same. Yep. It, it doesn't feel right. It feels like a Guardians of the Galaxy song, which is crazy. That's but it's I'm, not. But it it's is. not. It, but it is. Um, I oh think we should talk God. about that with Tarantino, his choice of uh, songs in his films, his soundtracks. In this film, it felt like he, I mean, he didn't really use them at all in Reservoir Dogs, and except for obviously the icon. Yeah. yeah, and then the one at the beginning. Yeah. Well, I mean, technic- no, because technically the entire first scene is dedicated to a song. You just don't hear it. That's true. Well, I mean, uh, like a virgin. Yeah. 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 Uh, true. Yeah. And then this one, though, you start with, I mean, a song that the Black Eyed Peas decided they wanted to start. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fantastic, by the way. It's still yeah. a good song. I don't care. It's still like. Pump. It's still a good song. You can tell me and Jader we're going to like shitty ass clubs at this time. <laughs> Absolutely. We're like, mm, mm, yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so I mean the first time and second time you can say that I saw this movie, I didn't grab again, I was I was seven, eight years old, you know. My birthday's in July. So um, when I, when I saw it, I just thought they were very cool characters, you know, mm-hmm. very cool character the movie cussed a lot. So it was, that was like, Oh man, this movie, you know, so cool. Cause they curse so much, but overall, I just loved the, uh, the suit, love the music. And one of my, uh, I mean, we'll jump into the scenes in a little bit, but, uh, that, that dance scene with, with Uma Thurman and, and Travolta is so freaking iconic, right. That, and that's something that always gets stuck in me. And I feel like that's a lot. You know, when you see Pulp Fiction, when you hear about it, that's one of the first scenes that I think clicks in your head when you think this film. Um, How many times but I just, did you do this as a kid without dude, realizing I know that what dance. it was? I know that choreography. <laughs> yeah. I swear to God, because I loved it so much. I promise you. I'm like, I know. It. I, I, I love it. But um, it wasn't until, I want to say, my freshman year um, in high school where I got really, like, I started diving, like, into, into film. Um, and a buddy of mine, and I mentioned this on the, a reservoir dog episode that he brought it up to me and he's like, 
oh, have you seen Pulp Fiction? I was like, yeah, yeah, I saw it when I, he's like, no, 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 have you seen it recently? And I was like, no. And then we got into Reservoir, he let me borrow Rev Reservoir Dogs, and I ended up buying Pulp Fiction like that week at, at Best Buy, excuse me. And uh, I rewatched it, and it just—it was a completely new and a completely different movie for me, even though I've seen it. But I remember again the—I just shot Marvin in the face scene, the Ezekiel scene. I remembered all that, but it meant so much more. Where I was like, "Holy shit, man! How, like, how do you get out of this?" You know? Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's just a film that for me, I honestly just—it doesn't matter how many times I've seen it. It's just like Naruto. If it's on, if it's in the middle, if it's in the I beginning. Watch it. I'll watch it, you know, uh, and I'll probably get in trouble sometimes that I'm like heading out the door, but it's on and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to find more minutes <laughs> of this film. And then just every scene for me just keeps getting better and better and better and better. But um, it's, it's films iconic. There's, there's it, it kind of what you, no, not kind of, it's exactly what you said, Kyle, where, where with Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs was like, Hey, um, this is what I got. And then this was like, I'm here to stay. Like I you would guys, say you go ahead. I would say that absolutely what Kyle says, Reservoir Dogs put him on the map, but Pulp Fiction made him colonize the film industry. With like, two films, like, he was already like legend status. Yeah. You know, they're like, yeah, dude, like, like what's your, when is your next, when is the next Tarantino film coming? Like we, walking out of this like movie. We're still yeah, like that. We're still Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm like that. I'm yeah. absolutely like that. Mm -hmm. um, I remember <laughs> when, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we were all like freaking out and if who, who's going to cover it, we all managed to go <laughs> and it was like, like, like yeah, dude, and it's like that with a Tarantino film, man. Hell yeah. yeah. Um, one quick thing I want to talk about here before we jump into the categories is Oscars. Uh, 1994 is famously one of the greatest years um, of movie history and i think the wrong movie won do you guys know what films were nominated for best picture that year off the top of your head i remember three because it's the three that everybody brings up and it's shawshank redemption forrest gump pulp fiction those are the three i was gonna that say forrest gump that's the one i remember and I you know what guy you guys might hate me um, i i love forrest gump man i it's I one forrest. of i Love that movie. Now, wasn't do I think wait? Wasn't Jurassic Park also nominated? That was that was ninety three. Yeah, no, no, no. But Jurassic, uh, yeah, was Jurassic Park it nominated for Best Picture? No, no, no. Schindler, no Schindler's List was. Schindler's List was, yeah. but not Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park won like, all the technical stuff. Ah. You also Should've had Quiz Show and Four Weddings and a Funeral also were nominated that same year, which, you know, especially Four Weddings and a Funeral is one of those classic romantic comedies people go back to all the time. Um, yeah. But with Pulp Fiction and Shawshank Redemption on their own, for neither of those to win Best Picture is one of those, you look back at the Oscars, you're like, damn, they got it wrong that year. Forrest Gump's a good movie. I don't hate it like a lot of people do, but geez. A lot of people hate like it. No, people hate Forrest Gump because oh, yeah. of Pulp Fiction and Shawshank. Not because the movie's yeah. bad by any means. They hate it because it won. It got that negative energy. Uh, not negative, just like that negative, like right now, like uh, I forgot what they hated recently that wasn't that bad. And then all of a sudden, everybody started hating. Oh, La La Land. La La Land started yeah. getting all this undeserved hate for some reason. Um, I feel like that's what happened with Forrest Gump. It's not that it's a bad film. People are just pissed off that it beat Shawshank and Pulp Fiction. But I think Forrest Gump is fantastic i will defend that day that movie to the fucking my last breath we're covering forrest gump on this show anyways but um <laughs> but um it's crazy because shawshank is considered if you at least on imdb for a long time the best film ever made it was like number one when you go to top top films ever made i think shawshank was number one and i think godfather a couple other films were like under it which is 
mind boggling. But um, but yeah, for Shawshank not to win and for Pulp Fiction not to win, and I feel like people still talk about Forrest Gump though. There's been Oscars where only one movie has been mentioned and uh, of the others that were nominated, you get me? But mm-hmm. 94 was so strong. Quiz Show is a great film, if yeah. you guys haven't seen it. Robert Redford, it, fucking, it's a great fucking movie. We also you know? have one that wasn't nominated that for all you Disney fans out there, Lion King came out in 1994, which, you know, just a year before that, uh, Beauty and the Beast was in contention. So you, you would think that they would be looking at the animated round. I know a lot of people tend to think that Lion King's the best Disney film of all time. So that also came out that year and it was surprisingly uh, didn't get nominated. But also Tarantino, this was his first nomination for Best Director. Uh, you had Samuel Jackson get his one and only nomination for acting, for Best Supporting Actor, which is mind-blowing to me how he has not right. been back in the Oscars ever since. Yeah. Because he, he keeps playing himself. Because he keeps playing himself. That's <laughs> true, yeah. Um, respected, still respected. I mean, Tarantino did win, did win an Oscar for this, didn't he? If I'm not yeah, mistaken, he won for screenplay. Best screenplay, yeah, yeah. He won for screenplay. Yeah, but him winning screenplay is like him like getting a sticker on his fucking homework. I mean, like Quentin Tarantino. Like, I mean, yeah, he, again, he this is the, uh, It's like yeah, you say that it, now. Everything. You say that now, but this again is his second film. You get me? Like what? Oh, okay. <laughs> I said my birthday was in July. Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> nobody's reunion but uh but yeah dude um i feel like this was an achievement obviously i mean an oscar is an achievement period but you we say that now that you're like oh it's a sticker on him because we're in 2020 and we've got in nine ten films whatever you want to call them but at that um, point hadn't he written for other people i mean he yeah, wrote he, he yeah wrote he wrote, wrote he, from dusk till dawn like from that. dusk till dawn well dusk till dawn wasn't out yet about if, if no, i think it was out in 95 or 90. yeah uh okay. he did have he did have uh natural born killers that's what uh, yeah and that's and that's with um Juliet Lewis and Woody Harrelson. No, 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 no. The director is is um, Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone. Like, I mean, if if someone like Oliver Stone is saying, yeah, I, I credit this guy because like I like his writing style, which you could tell is all over that film. I agree. Right. It's your second film, but it was also it's everybody's first film in the Oscar, though. If you if you get what I'm saying, like once you get nominated, it doesn't matter necessarily the work you did before. Because I will say that about the award show that I, I don't necessarily agree with ever. But they only ever take into credit one thing, unless you're Leonardo DiCaprio, then they're just going to give it to you because they should have given it to you the year before for a Tarantino film. That's he should have gotten it for a Tarantino. Yeah, I, yeah. I do not argue with you there, miss. Uh, I'm waiting for the day we do Django, too. I'm, I'm super excited for that. Also for Sam Jackson, too. I think Django, in Django and Shane, he was incredible in that film. That should have been yeah. That would have been the Oscar winner. That would have been the Oscar winner. But he he wasn't as close as supporting as um for as me for me i don't know i think i think um i think jules is a better character he was great in django but i think jules is is the better character if you're gonna talk any any sam jackson well well let's know? save that discussion for when we get to a certain category here um, no i was gonna i was gonna say no because sam jackson was great in um that movie with, Brown? no when he was in the movie yes. with um he was fantastic uh, the negotiator <laughs> the negotiator Mm. Oh, Kevin Spacey. Yes, that's to me one of his best. An Oscar worthy though. Yeah. Not Oscar worthy. <laughs> Not Oscar worthy. I mean, I mean it it's was a great. It's a great movie. Developed character, his most chops. Like it's a little bit of him, not too much of him. You know what I mean? Like I think that that was 
it was a very diversified version of him because he was playing kind of like the victim and we never see him really do that. That's true. All right, let's jump right. into it, guys. Let's do these categories. First let's up, best scene. Best scene in Pulp Fiction is like trying to pick from a basket full of diamonds. Like it's just it's kind of impossible. But I have a specific one. I'm start with you, Nardo. This is your movie. What is your best scene in Pulp Fiction? Okay, so I was a little torn because for me, my okay. So the obvious best scene is when Vincent takes um, Mrs. Mia Wallace back home. Not when they're on the date. When they're back home. And he's in the bathroom and he's like, take a drink, drink your drink, go home, jerk <laughs> off and go to yeah. bed. And she's like, girl, be a woman. And that's so like, it's, it's very telling of like, you know, he's like in the bathroom trying to convince himself that like he shouldn't stay here, even though there's an obvious connection. And she's just vibing out, forgetting that her husband is like one of the biggest mobsters in LA. <laughs> but that opening sequence where the entire conversation is only between two characters that we never see again until the very end. And that's between Honey Bunny and Pumpkin, right? Yep. So we see them talking about the difference. First of all, they're just, he's just going on like a typical Quentin Tarantino film, like has to open with this like intensive monologue at the time. And he's just talking about like, he's like, yeah, but like, you know, if you rob these places, they don't do it. In this climate, may not be something that would get passed, especially we talked about foreign people and whipping out a gun and stuff like that. But then right when they're talking about like, you know what we should rob? A place like this. Like, you know, nobody's a diner, nobody's paying attention. And she's like, yeah, a lot of wallets. And then suddenly they jump right into it. That is such an iconic beginning. I hate you so much. It's so, why uh, did you pick it too? That was my pick. That was my pick because <laughs> that was my pick. And I'll tell you why. It's the same thing you were saying. Is just the... What's powerful about every Tarantino film, um, when you're watching, sitting down and watching one, is the very opening. It's it's what's going to grab you. His characters, his monologue, his his dialogue grabs you. It's what I love about the beginning of Inglorious Bastards, Reservoir Dogs, Django. Everything that you know that we've so far the Kill Bill opening scene. Everything about those films for me, it's just so great. And this is no different. Um, it's that them plotting that you know. Then uh, when they're playing, they're like, let's just do it. And then they they uh, they do it and it cuts to the it music, cuts. which you're like, oh my God, what am I, what am I about to watch? Exactly. And you never, you never see, see him, him again. You never see him again to the very end. For, the for other- me, it was between that and the, and the dancing and the dancing. I just love the uh, conversation. And again, right. it goes back to the dialogue. And again, obviously it's the pre, the little Steve Buscemi scene uh, as Buddy Holly. Oh, wait, don't uh, bring that know. up. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. But um, but you know, little things like that that you just get there, and then her going with the square, the five dollar milkshake, which right so, now, back then, you're like, what the hell? Now you're but like, but now yeah, you're like, cheap. that's cheap. That's cheap as hell. No. <laughs> the, the other, the other thing I love is that those characters' names are Honey Bunny and Pumpkin. You don't hear their yeah, real that's it. Names. That's their that's name. It. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's, that's where the credit is. That's yeah. what they're credited as, and like to think that it's like Tim Roth. Because you think of Tim Roth now and you're like, wait, you're like, you know, Tim Roth is Tim Roth. He is somebody important. Yeah, he's, he's bringing him in from Reservoir Dogs, right? Which he and was great thinking, in. Which he was amazing <laughs> in, right? Like, are you yeah. a cap, you know, type shit. But then he comes in at this very minute character. Everybody thinks the movie, okay, yeah, you're going to use him again. And you just don't. So it's it's also the undertones of the of that particular scene. It's like, 
everything it comes back to as well is the other reason why I picked it. Because when we get all the way to the end of the film, spoiler alert, we're back in the diner. We're back with this couple. And suddenly they're not just people who rob diners. They have like this intense bond and relation. That's what I meant about you feel for every character, no matter how long you know them for. Yeah. You know, we haven't yeah. seen them forever, but still we're like, wait, no, she's she's authentically worried and worried. She's yeah, authentically yeah, yeah. worried. And and he's and he's like, and I love that that and then the exchange of like tell her to be cool. Be cool. Be <laughs> cool, this. bitch. So that be bitch cool. be cool. <laughs> like that. Um <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned opening scenes because when you guys were talking about that, I was trying to think like what is the opening scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? And it's really not significant at all. It's just the black and white of Rick Dolan on the set of uh, what was the name of the TV show? Uh, Bounty, Bounty Law. Bounty and it's, Law. it's that scene from the trailer where Brad Pitt's just like, oh, carry his load. Yeah, that sounds about right. That, that, that scene. So it's really like I think that's one of his only movies where the best scene isn't the opening scene. It's everything that takes place later on. But yeah. my pick for best scene. Uh, you're going to notice a trend in my categories here. I'm a huge Samuel Jackson fan. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. So my scene is the scene that follows your guys' scene. It's the first time we're introduced to them, and they break into the apartment, and he just has his way with those guys. That, Like you guys just mentioned before, the dialogue is great. Um, him interrogating him about burgers and about what he's eating and what does Marcellus Wallace look like, which we'll get into with another thing <laughs> right here. Um, I, it's just it's perfect to me. So that that's what it's going to – I think that's really what introduced Sam Jackson to the world too as this powerful force of an actor. I think it's kind of what got him nominated as well because he commanded that entire room. Everyone's like, oh, shit, who is this guy? And he just points it. They break in, point his gun. It's the type of villain you want to see. So that's what I'm going with for best scene. Um, best line, I'm just going to transition right into this. My favorite line is, does he look like a bitch? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> what does Marcellus look like? Uh, he's bald. Does he look like a bitch? And he goes, he's black. And he's like, okay. Does he look like a bitch? What? Say what again. Say what again. That whole, you're, you're, hey, that's a killer scene, man. Absolutely. Um, that's an interesting choice of words. Considering yeah. this. Uh, what was I going to say? Favorite line for There's so many in this movie, man. There's, so, there's some hard. that, you know, you know, it sucks to say that I can't say because it's just the way it transitions with, and you know certain tarantino scene in this movie where you can't say a lot no. um but um uh, one of the lines that i oh and i use it against with with uh i use it with javi a lot one of our boys um uh, and it's i'm about to get real medieval up in this, in this book. <laughs> <laughs> i love that line i love it because he yo does he does he ever man does he ever does he ever but uh there's just it's just so many great lines in this man but i i think that's gonna be my my pick it's just it makes me laugh every time so again very hard for me considering this is my all-time favorite like right now we'll, we're gonna finish i'm probably gonna go to sleep to this movie so Hell yeah so for me it was kind of a, at first i was like okay is it it's zed's zed's dead baby zed's dead no okay no that's a little too obvious and then i was like what about if we go to I'm American, my name, our names don't mean shit. <laughs> like when, he, when he's in a cab with Esmeralda Villalobos. And then yeah. I was like, nah, the best one is the one that to this day, if I ever got a tattoo of Pulp Fiction, would be this is when she's sitting in the car, um, uh, Uma Thurman being Mia Wallace, and she turns to him, she goes, Don't be such a 
square and that's it and it's just yeah. square because she's and that's such a terminology referring or because the thing that she says right before she's like an elvis man would love this place and that's actually her talking about uh jack rabbit slims where tarantino explains that like in life he always thought you were either a beatles person or an elvis person and that's the reference she was making so that's why she's like don't be such a because square would only be used during that era so i would say don't be such a and that's it and you see little squares, and it's not really another, square as much I, as you know, a rectangle but you know besides the point another one another scene that I, it's not seen but it, it goes with the quote uh with the quote it's uh the wolf the wolf with uh with 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 jules and wait Vincent. what part he, what part though what part when he goes no, no no at the end where he where he's like i don't like people barking orders at me he goes if i'm for you it's because time is a factor and he goes, I think, I think fast, I talk fast, isn't that? And then he goes, so pretty please, please. with sugar on top, clean the fucking <laughs> the car. car. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, man. All right. <laughs> That's another one, dude. That's it. I, I got a lot of casting what ifs here. Another. Oh, God. Sure, right? Jeez, what here we, we go. Um, Uma Thurman originally turned down the role until Tarantino read her the script over the phone, which is that's something interesting to me. Harvey and Car Harvey Keitel had to convince Bruce Willis to take the role. He wasn't on board at first. All right. You know, here they come. Lawrence Fishburne and Michael Madsen were supposed to play Jules and Vince, but they both turned it down. But Lawrence Fishburne turned it down because there's a popular story out there where Lawrence Fishburne had a team of people who he had hired to make him a leading man. He wanted to be a leading man in all these movies because he felt like he was getting kind of pushed to the back and he was ready to take the next big step. So clearly that didn't work out for him. He never really took off as a leading man after this. He's still one of the, you know, best, one of the better actors out there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's I can't cool. imagine him as Samuel Jackson in this film at all. Like it's kind of perfect for him. So I, I no. can't picture anybody else for the role of Jules. Like this is the, uh, uh, what if that I'm like, no, it has to be, him, because you've thrown some at us in other episodes where I'm like, that could work. I, mm -hmm. I can see that happening. Yeah, you threw one last week. I forgot which one it was. Um, but this is Samuel Jackson's role. Like I'm telling you, you you saying that he's one of your favorite actors of all time. For me, when you think Samuel Jackson, it's like immediately. And now, now Nick Fury, because it's just it just comes to you know mind. But excuse me. Um, I feel like this is Pulp Fiction is is uh is Samuel Jackson. And the first thing you think about is Jules in this film, along with obviously the iconic poster of Uma Thurman and all that. But um, you can't also, give me another whatever, man. Also, right? he didn't really come into his acting chops till I would say, and again, even though Lawrence Fishburne has been around forever and a day, like he didn't really come into his skin, his leading man, all the way to the Matrix. I mean, we're not. Yeah. Like that's when we saw him as a leading man. He was a leading me men of men, right? If mm -hmm. we're gonna use something very, very direct. Plus it's hard. Okay, now I'm gonna use something that's a little bit out of sorts. So I'm a big proportional person when I'm watching film. Like I feel if we have a very tall character, having another tall character is kind of clashy. Like I kind of like to see diversified shapes when I'm watching film, right? Which is the weirdest thing. But I love that at the time where John Travolta was hitting a, a downward slope because he was in nothing for a really long time before he got casted in Pulp Fiction. He, this is actually John Travolta's return to film. Yes. It was. It, it was, was his return was his to film. Return. And I love that we have this like, like John Travolta at this point, you know, he gained a little weight. He was like a, a bigger dude. And then like Samuel Jackson was still slim. 
So I yeah. kind of, I like that it was reversed versus the bigger guy being, you know, someone like, uh, like Jules and then the skinnier guy being like Vincent, considering that Vincent is supposed to be the one that just came back from Amsterdam and stuff like that. Like, I like the pairing of proportions, which is the weirdest thing I'd pay attention to, but I do like it that he's the bigger guy versus Jules, because Jules already has the personality. He doesn't need the girth. That's why I like it that way. Hey. Well, <laughs> I got more here. Paul Calderon was uh, almost played Jules, had to turn it down eventually. Who? Steve, uh, Paul Calderon. It's just something I found out. I don't even know who that was, but it was just something got I me. found in there. Uh, Steve Buscemi had to turn down the role of Jimmy uh, because of a scheduling conflict. But it, then you see, like you said later, he's going to pop up at another point. Uh, Matt, I can see that. I could see that work actually. Him being Jimmy. Oh, absolutely. 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 Yeah. I can see that work. Oh, shit. Okay. I like that one. That one I like. Um, Matt Dillon was supposed to be Butch. Uh, <gasps> and then they, he changed the tone of the script a little bit and thought Matt Dillon wasn't the right choice for it at all. No, uh, he has no. too much teeth. There we go. Proportion. Too much yep. teeth. Not at too all. Too much man. teeth. I got a big one here. He's a boxer and he has that much teeth? No. <laughs> yeah. I got a big one here. Daniel Day Lewis wanted to play Vincent, but Tarantino turned him down. <gasps> Holy shit. Yes. Holy so Daniel Day Lewis could have been Vincent. Wow. That's crazy. That's one of those that easily could have worked. It could have worked. If you put him in there with uh Samuel Jackson, that's a that's a pairing that we're never gonna get a we're chance never, to see. And, and we never will. <laughs> Jesus oh, Christ, that is crazy. That you dropped some knowledge on me yeah, there, sir. I wouldn't have I, I had no idea. never I would think Daniel Day Lewis wouldn't be interested in that character. He's like meh with his moniker. Meh. Yeah, like Whoa. meh. But like first of all, because I and the only reason why I say that is not because I don't think Vincent is well developed. On the contrary, he has one of the the more popular storylines that people tend to remember. And it's also the second vignette, so it's very quick into the film. But yeah. at the same time, I'm kind of like I I don't know. I try to picture Daniel Day Lewis talking about foot rubbing, and I don't know if or a roya with cheese. Like, yeah. see, I think Daniel Day Lewis can do basically anything. So I just I feel like what you're gonna notice with a lot of a theme of a lot of this is a lot of these actors really liked Reservoir Dogs, and I want to work with Tarantino right away. Was the theme going around Hollywood? He had so, just he had just come off of uh, in the name of the Father. That came out in '93, so. Uh, he Jesus was already Christ. one of the best actors. Yeah, right? absolutely. He had done Last of the Mohicans already. In the mm -hmm. Bro, I um, love Last of the Mohicans. I know that it's, again, in this climate, people be like, oh, my God. I'm like, first of all, fuck off. Watch that film. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I got another one. Mickey Rourke passed on Butch. Uh, that, that, I knew that. that I, I can see that. that. Yes. I, I knew that. I, I knew that one. That. I knew that one. I can see Pam that. Greer auditioned for Judy. Didn't get it, obviously. Yeah. Um, we got James Gandolfini turned down the role of Vince and because he wanted John Travolta to have the role. So that's pretty cool. Uh, God bless that angel. Jennifer Aniston nearly had Mia, according to Tarantino, but then eventually went to Uma Thurman. That wouldn't have worked at all. <laughs> Not I at mean, all. okay, look, it wouldn't have worked at all because when we think of her, we think of friends and stuff, but... I Jennifer Aniston was able to keep her jet. The reason why she went to all the roles she did is because she had friends. Yeah. Like if we, if, yeah. we, if she never played Rachel, who knows? I mean, I could see this. The only reason why I don't think it would work is because she, and this is me going back to stylistic features. 
Uma Thurman is not exactly iconically pretty. Like when you think of her, you don't think that she's like excessively attractive. She has a, she's very tall, large hands, large feet. You know, a lot of these features that a lot of people would shun because they're, they're not pretty and cutesy, even though she was in that, that, that rom-com, um, something about dogs or whatever with them. Um, the where truth she, about cats and dogs. Yeah, the truth about cats and dogs, where she plays with Jenny like, Garoppolo. Yeah, 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 where she plays the model. But at the same time, we she's not traditional, and I don't think Mia Wallace could have been that attractive because then it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have made sense why she didn't get the pilot. She wouldn't have been the underdog in the pilot. She would have been the main person because yeah. if we're thinking about in terms of Hollywood, like your attractiveness has to match your your caliber. Yeah. So I, I just don't think she, she, we need Mia Wallace to be a little bit more homey because that's the same reason why Mia Wallace would marry someone like Marcellus Wallace is because she's not up there. So she needed somebody to take her up there. Um, well then how, how do you guys feel about this for Mia? Julie Louis-Dreyfus, uh, according to Julie Louis-Dreyfus's agents, she turned down Mia. So I don't fuck know that if that's true. <laughs> fuck that guy. <laughs> he can just be thrown out there, but it's something that's been reported. John Cusack turned down the role of Lance. Um, uh, I could see him really? as Lance. That wouldn't have sucked so bad. Uh, Alfrey Woodard and Halle Berry both auditioned for Mia. Obviously, uh, didn't work out for them. But I think uh, Halle Berry would have been a weird choice. Just like we've been talking about Uma Thurman. She's kind of perfect for this role. And it feels like every actress was vying for this role. I got one more big one, though. Sylvester Stallone was considered for Vince, which just <laughs> did not work. <laughs> that one doesn't work. Um, no way, one dude. other thing, there oh, there was a leaked short list that came out of actors that were considered for every role. It's massive, so I'm not going to read over it all, but it includes people like Denzel Washington, Michael Keaton, Robert De Niro, Danny DeVito, uh, Gary Oldman, Nicolas Cage, um, Johnny, I said Johnny Depp, Robin Wright, uh, Deborah Winger. It's, just, it's huge. So if you guys ever want to go look that up. I can put I can post that online, but it's a massive list of people that were being considered. Man, he just Jesus. was pretty writing for everybody that everybody just named are all the big people during that era, though. Like, yeah. Yeah. like those those were heavy hitters for that time, especially someone like Robin Wright. I mean, I guess what she was busy doing for his gump and it worked out in her favor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, the Mahershala Ali Award for Best Sharpshooter. This is the actor or actress who is in the <sighs> movie for a couple of scenes, but leaves a big impression when they're in there. Uh, I'll start with this one. I'm going with Bing Rames. I think Marcellus Wallace is a pretty – I think that kind of – this character is kind of linked to him for most of his career, unless you want to go Mission Impossible. But what he does in this film – is three, maybe four scenes where obviously you have the gimp stuff down in the basement of the pawn shop. You have his introduction where you just see uh, the back of his head the entire time. He has that booming iconic, voice. Iconic shot, bro. Iconic shot with the with the uh, Bing Rames intro. Absolutely. Yep, yep. And then you have um, the scene that's taken from Psycho where uh, Bruce Willis is pulled up to the crosswalk and then Bing Rames just sees him right Love there. You. Fuck. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I think that the name Marcellus Wallace comes up quite a bit before we finally see him. And he's this presence that you're like, man, who is this guy? He's got to be pretty tough. And you see it's Ving Rames. Okay. Yeah. He's leaving an impression before he shows up and after he shows up. So I'm going with Ving Rames for this. Uh, Nardo, who do you got for this award? You took the words out of my mouth, buddy. It was the exact same thing. It was Ving Rames because I was like, same, all the same points you just made. Basically, it's somebody who you talk about throughout the entire film. 
he's mentioned from the very big after the the opening sequence but he's mentioned from the very beginning as this like insane force you don't even see his face till way later and then on top of that he is the the culminating character that connects everybody by personal knowing with the exception of honey bunny and pumpkin because they're connected through people he knows but he technically knows everybody mm -hmm. right he knows vincent he knows butch he knows the wolf he knows everybody plus if we're talking if we're going back to iconic lines he has some of the most iconic ones they're just very minute because they're overshadowed by the responses to that right so like he'll say like uh jader had mentioned it earlier you know the the we're gonna go medieval on your ass but even the leading to that everything he describes that he's gonna do and then on top of that to to imagine the fact that he is like this bombastic character who gets it given to him is something that i think no audience member was ready for like we're again talking about one of the largest must be a criminal right like because we don't even know what what the hell he does we'll we just that, know, yeah he's just he's just a criminal and the fact that he is brought down to the lowest degree a human can get to and we can still be like at first you're thinking oh man this guy must be bad but then it happens to him you're like no nah, no nah, i want him to win now <laughs> like that's <laughs> he's he's just one he is the he is the pulp in pulp fiction i think for for a fact i like that i like that um i had him but and i don't know why but whatever i am going with harvey keitel because i just love that thing so much <laughs> okay that's okay i love that scene so much i think he does his job it's exactly what the mahershala Ali, uh award is he goes in there sharpshooter takes care of business he has you laughing he has you nervous at the same time are they going to get away with it what are they going to do um and he's in there he bam 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 just like that i'm a fast talker i do this i do that i need you to do this you know and, and yeah. everything about that and again from the moment you meet the wolf to like the very end when they when you can finally go like we can breathe again it's just so entertaining you know yeah. um and i feel it's the epitome of this award for me at least and i again i don't disagree because i had i had i i felt like um Ving Rain. I don't know why I went more with uh, who was in the film shorter and left a bigger impact versus you know, yeah. with that. So I felt like it was the Wolf over Ving Rain's just because with Ving Rain's after a while you do see him in a couple more scenes than than that one scene that the Wolf had. You know. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, that's my pick. All right. I, I wouldn't hate that. I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's sporty. Yeah. The yeah. Bill Murray Award for best cameo for his role in Zombieland. Um. Let's start with you, Jader. Let's bounce back to you. What, who's your pick for? Well, this? it's not fair because I let's go with Nardo. Let, let's start with Nardo because I know Nardo has a lot to say he, right now. Because he took it from me. <laughs> I, my, my thing, you took it from me. I was like, no, don't mention Steve Buscemi because that was one of those things that you're watching. And you're like, is that? Is that? Is that <laughs> <laughs> Why are you dressed like Buddy Holly though? <laughs> yeah. No, but there's actually, and it's funny, um, not to bounce between categories, but there are other cameos in this film, but they're not good ones. Like I, I put them in another category <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll explain. I got, I got one in here, but we'll, we'll let you finish your point. So again, reason why I liked it is because it was one of those, everybody was dressed. So you wouldn't even think it was him, but there is yeah. another cameo that I want to bring up that it is considered a cameo because he only shows up once and it is for a short amount of time and it wasn't enough to be a sharpshooter. 
and that's Christopher Walken when he comes that's in my, as Captain Coon. That's my pick. As <laughs> Captain Coon. Because you, exactly, and then, uh, and I'm not going to go too deep to it, but I will say that, like, that also was one of the best cameos because, you know, the, the best part, one of the best parts of the is like, well, he had to hide it in his ass. In his ass. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, man. Well, yeah, but, that, that, was, that was my pick, man. My, well, she had Buscemi. I had, I had Christopher Walken, man. I had Walken. I, had I almost went. I almost yeah, went. Too. Honestly, I almost went with Eric Stoltz as Lance because I think he was fantastic in that as well. Mm-hmm. But um, when I was going through the IMDb, I was like, "Oh no, it has to be Walken." There's no way that I can't give this award to Walken. He was in there, and the story, and you're intrigued. This, the whole nine, this, none of that. What it makes you laugh. Great, great stuff, man. So you know, I, do lo- funny. I do love Lance. I do love Lance. Yeah. though. it's funny because you can almost cut out. Christopher Walken's entire scene, if you had to cut one scene from this movie, it would be his, but he's so good in it. And so, and like, he draws you in so well that you don't want to cut it out. I just remember I listened to the Dan Levitard show, Stu Gatz, all the time. And Stu Gatz has the worst Christopher Walken limited fake I've ever seen, where he just goes, <laughs> The Watch. And that's it. He <laughs> every single time. So I, I just had to shout it out here. Um, let's move on. The Gary Oldman, <clears throat> everyone, award for best overacting. Uh, this is easy for me. This is Amanda Plummer <laughs> as Honey Bunny. Oh, my gosh. Oh. That's my pick, too. That's my pick. Way no, over the sorry. top. She's way almost darling. Yeah. yeah. That, no. Amanda Plummer, hands down, that was my pick, dude. So, yeah. Same okay. Thing. No. So, I'm going to I'm gonna pick some. Um, first of all, it was hard because I was torn, and it sucked because I'm like, Oh, I'm gonna have to pick females, and as a female voice, ugh, in this climate of what was me, like you know, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to put down my fellow female actors, especially considering that I, I do appreciate one of the one of their comedies, um, but Kathy Griffin was also a cameo in this film, yeah. and she yeah. was the one that's like, I will do it for you, I will say that he shot you. And I'm like, that's a little too much. Like I didn't like her, but I was like, okay, that's not enough to to say that it was completely overacting. So. The person I'm going to get, and I have to like pull up her name Tarantino. one more time. No, I, I can you just wait? I had an I actually don't think that Tarantino is overacting this. No, I'm just, just messing around. Oh, wait. wait yeah. No, but but I don't disagree with you because I was going to say Angela, uh, Angela Jones, which is Esmeralda Villalobos. Because, yes, I get it. She just playing, annoys me. She, she's playing, and I get it. She's playing to a trope. But it's kind of like, yeah. Ooh, did you just kill a man? Yeah, and you're driving a fucking, like, <laughs> what is this? This is in New York. What is this fucking taxi cab? But yeah. I do agree that Quentin, those two to me were up there because, number one, Quentin, of course, he always uses his get-out-of-jail-free car as much as possible in this film to use <laughs> yeah. very suggestive language at the time that I'm just like, well, it doesn't matter. Like, he's telling it to him, and he doesn't care. And he's married to Bonnie. Bonnie's black. So, like, he's automatically, like, in the club. But I do think that he's pretty much up there, especially. And I only pick him up there because when um when he's when the the wolf is counting the money and he's just staring at the money like he's never seen that much money in his life, and it seems pretty awkward considering he knows jewels. So it's, yeah. it's it just didn't the kind of. And I was like, okay, I can't. I basically I was like, I can't call him an overactor because I don't understand the connection and like the disproportions of his character. So I'm just gonna give it to Angela Jones, who's like nobody important, but she just overplayed the her interaction with Butch, and I just didn't like it. Like that could have that could have been any like I would have appreciated if that was like maybe like an older Hispanic lady, like old school abuela, like really fucking talking to him versus like 
don't know. It just wasn't my favorite. Um, I threw in a new category for this part just to talk about this person real quick, and it was what doesn't work. I think Maria de Majeros as Fabienne, uh, Bruce Willis's girlfriend, why uh, she put such a huge halt to the movie that it's it's got all this momentum going, and then boom, she's just. I just find her so boring. I don't know how you guys feel about her, but I think to me that's kind of what hinders the movie a little bit is she is just a huge speed bump going into the rest of the film because once Bruce Willis is separated from her and there's the whole chase with Ving Rhames. It, it, yeah, it picks up. Yeah. Really and then once she comes back and I'm like, Ugh, I'll back. only give her one redeeming quality, which is when she talks about the pot, like having a pot belly, ver- you know, like, like Madonna and Lucky Star, and he's like, "What do you mean you want some pot?" And she goes, "Not pot, a pot," and that shit is funny to me. <laughs> I guess. But yeah, I, it is, it is, and plus the whole. She you know, honestly does. It's it's. She's probably my least favorite thing about this film. But I also understand why they would pair her with someone like Butch because she is as innocent as they come. Which is someone I feel like we should not her, but we should talk about Bruce Willis a little bit more. I feel I feel like we haven't really. Uh, Hit uh hit on him. I don't know if you guys if you guys feel. I think this was. I don't want to say his best for it's not his best performance, but I feel like he did a really good job watching this movie. Um, I didn't rewatch it this week or anything like that, but I did see Pulp Fiction maybe about two weeks ago. That's why I'm like I'm okay. Um, I just feel I I guess after hearing all these Kevin Smith interviews and what they say, and and you honestly get it, you can tell that he just doesn't give a crap anymore. I felt like he was still. He still cared then here, you know. So it's nice to see when 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 he cares, um, and I love the dynamic between him and Ving Rhames. Again, um, every time that we get to that Christopher Walken scene, I'm like, oh, all right. But then like the scene changes, he wakes up and you meet uh, uh, baby, and you're like, ugh. Yeah. And then well, once he leaves the apartment, you're back on it again until you get the famous Zed Dead baby, and you uh, which Peter Green is fantastic. He I he always plays this like creepy guy he's, background he's, guy he's the other mask like yeah he's the door he's dorian in the mask dorian. exactly but he's no, in blue no. streak he's in a bunch of shit but but it's uh funny. i remember it's, saying go ahead no i was gonna say it's funny you say that because it just kind of dawned on me that like yeah you're right this is when bruce willis actually gave a shit but but just to piggyback off something going back to the fabian before we go deeper into bruce willis you know even though he didn't get pegged but um what what doesn't make sense Vincent leaving his gun outside of the bathroom. Yeah, that doesn't make they sense. Say, that doesn't make any sense. He's a professional killer. He wouldn't have gone to the bathroom without his gun. Yeah, put your gun on the counter. When you, put it, I mean, uh, yeah. You just, that, you just don't. You know, that's a yeah. moment that people didn't see coming when this movie came out was Vince just dying. Uh, and the, like he was the main character. This is our guy. This is the one we're following. And nope, he's gone. And then obviously we see how the rest of the film turns out because it's in a different order. But Back then, that that I was a huge moment. I don't know if you want to say see uh, on the comments with Jared. Uh, Jared wrote Jared Douglas. Um, uh, I, yeah, I saw it. <laughs> yeah, said I heard no, and I actually read read that too. That that's the reason why they made him die in the toilet because of the heroin makes you makes your poop too hard. So it does. It makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. I Kinda, didn't know that. Yeah, I heard that. I heard that too. No, no, it was great. Uh, shout out to Jared, man. Man, I don't uh, know. I don't know enough heroin addicts. <laughs> um, as far as Bruce Willis goes, I mean, it's hard looking back, watching this movie back, and seeing how great 
he or not great at least. I mean, he's never been great, but he's always he was entertaining back then. You haven't seen and Die Hard, obviously. I have seen he's Die great. Hard. It's not like he's he's not he's not Daniel Day, Daniel Day Lewis out there, right? <laughs> if Sam he Jackson, is the Daniel Day Lewis of action movies, bro. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I think Vin Diesel wants some words with you. Um, yeah, no, I don't agree with that. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm like, hey, 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 you're you're the one always talking shit about the Fast and Furious. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe Dwayne Johnson wants some words. How about that? Um, right. But Bruce Willis, no, because you look back and you're like. Man, this guy was trying so hard back then and actually committed. And if he would have just done that in some of these movies, although I think he did that in Glass, I thought he did commit in Glass. I know a lot of people didn't like that movie. I thought he liked that. He cared about that character. And he put some effort into it. Everything else, though, he doesn't. All the diehard follow-ups after the third one, and it's just it's it's just he's going to all these straight to DVD films. Which actually, we're going to transition to this right here in interesting details. It kind of ties into it. So this film cost eight million dollars. Sold for $11 million, but it cost $8 million because uh, Bruce Willis came on. It was a way cheaper until he came on, but he demanded so much money because he was such a big star that it bumped up the budget. $5 million of the $8 million went to the actors, which I think that's mostly Bruce Willis right there. I mean, who else is a big star in this film? Because he said Travolta's just coming back. Sam Jackson is a big, isn't a big star. Harvey Keitel, there's no way he's demanding a lot because he took a pay cut just to go on Reservoir Dogs. Buscemi was in a cameo. Tarantino his, his himself. I don't think many people are asking for that much except for Bruce Willis. So good thing this movie made over $200 million, but he was demanding a lot back then, and he's still demanding a lot now to do straight-to-DVD films. Yeah, I heard about that too, actually. Well, that's, mm. that's the reason why it made him severely unpopular among filmmakers, and it sucks because I get it. He has the presence he has the attitude he has everything ideally you were looking for and i agree with jader as soon as i heard kevin smith talk about what it was like to work with him it just tanked my opinion of him and again it's only because you can't okay kevin smith first of all if we're talking about he's a director among film fans and everything he is very well respected he's respected in the nerd verse you know who has who ex that, it, that basically has exploded and he's also probably the nicest guy in Hollywood. Like yeah. he lets people walk all, or so he says, lets people walk all over him. If I ever met the guy and he was not what I expected, it would crush every single dream I have. But for him to say like, dude, I'm like not difficult. And he was difficult. Like he's never said anything bad about anybody except Bruce yeah. Willis. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And he, and he, he really and he, does a lot. So, um, let's move on. I have a couple more interesting details. The 1864 Chevy Malibu, uh, that they drive in that belonged to Quentin Tarantino. Um, I'm pretty sure he still has it though, too. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure he does still he, has it. Does he still have Marvin's brains in there? <laughs> Actually, no, that's right. He does have it because it's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in the background. He, they did put ah. it in. So yeah, he does still have that car. Um, okay. So Uma Thurman. Did not like the song at Jack Rabbit Slims and said it was wrong. Uh, Tarantino kept saying, trust me, it's perfect. And I could just see that back and forth between them right now in my head. It's like, Quinn, I don't know. I don't think it works. You, trust me, it's perfect. I got it. <laughs> it's good. It's good. He has like the largest yeah, yeah. mouth, but like small, small lips. I knew, I, knew, I knew that little fun fact about the song because I was like, Uma Thurman would have ruined that shit. Again, it's so iconic. Yeah, and she was she was pissed off about the song. I did read that too. That's awesome. But I could um, I could see why. 
teenage wedding. She probably didn't like the message it was like sending out. She's just like, what are you talking about? They're like barefoot. Shut up and dance. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> Good um, job. What- Another thing that was, you know, really a fun Easter egg is Vincent is related to Vic Vega, um, Big Vega. Madsen's yeah. character from Reservoir Dogs, which they had a pilot ready to go with both the, those the guys, Vega brothers, the Vega brothers. I was ready to go. And then uh, they were just too old by the time they hit the ground. No, man. That, let me tell you that my same buddy of mine that uh, introduced me to Reservoir Dogs and made me rewatch Pulp Fiction. He's he's a huge, huge Tarantino fan. He told me about that back in 2002, 2003, about the Vega Brothers. Mm-hmm. So imagine, that's a project that he's been working on for so long, and they just never got around to it. And that would be a badass movie. Yes. You can make it now. You can just re- recast. Younger versions no. of each. It is possible to find younger versions of each. I guess it so. Can. It, can. If it's... Listen, if it's if it's leading up to it, we can definitely find some like, and again, I again I'm saying this with the respects and hoping that they're not going to pick. Don't get me wrong; as much as I love looking at them, like someone like Zac Efron, like I want to see people that are going to match this capability. Like I need to see some rough housed Hollywood individuals to play like younger versions of them. Yeah, I don't think we have too many because mostly the younger actors who are big are the ones that are putting in all these CW shows that they all look super pretty and all this stuff. So it's tough to find someone like that. Maybe in a couple of years when Jacob Tremblay grows up, we can throw there him you in. There you go. Okay, one more uh, fun fact. Uh, it came out the same exact day as Shawshank Redemption, which I don't know what that was like going to the movies back then. If someone did a double feature of that, good on you because that good had you, one of the best movie experiences ever. Um, Jader, Nardo, I have some Schmodown questions if you guys want to oh, play God. along here. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm going to be terrible. <laughs> All right. What is the name of the pawn shop? The name of the pawn shop in the movie. Yeah, in the movie. What is the name of the pawn shop? Um, I don't know if you guys are writing down anything, if you just want to say it, whatever you guys feel more comfortable. Is, isn't it isn't it Zeds? No. Is it what? Isn't it Zeds? That is not Zeds. Jader, do you have a guess? It's not Zeds. Isn't it like Crown? Crown Pawn or something like Crown that? Crown Pawn Shop is correct. That is yeah. that's why you're Jader and I'm normal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got a couple of easier ones. What is the color of the glow in the case? Oh, yellow. That's yellow. I was going to say gold, but... Mary gold, if you want to be accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yellow gold, either one works. Um, what song do Mia and Vince dance to in Jack Rabbit Slims? Isn't it called Teenage Wedding? I could be wrong about the actual name of it. No, no, no. Um, fuck, bro. I listen to it all the time. Is it so. too well? I'm, like, saying it. No, man. Um, no. Hold oh, on, uh, dude. Say, uh, say la vie. It's a uh, no. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a uh, wish you well or something like that. Um, you can never tell. Fuck, you can never. Chuck Berry, bro. I was never close. Tell. I was close. I was like something like. Uh, shout out to Schmatt, uh Twelve playing along. He got that as well. You can never oh, tell. Very um, easy one here. How much does Mia's shake cost? We kind of mentioned it before. Five dollars. Five dollars shake. And I got one more. What does Jules' wallet say on it? Badass motherfucker. 
the one that says badass motherfucker. Fucker. <laughs> I want that wallet so bad. Uh, my friend, a, buddy, a buddy of mine has it. A buddy of mine has it. I want it. I do want it. <laughs> All right, guys. Two more categories here. Apex Mountain. So this is the point in someone's career where they're at the peak, where it's never going to get better for them, but they had the most pull in Hollywood at the time. Maybe it was their best performance. It's kind of interpreted for you. Um, I think there's a couple we can talk about here. I first, I want to throw out John Travolta. I think this is his apex mountain I, because, you know, Greece was huge for him and that was kind of his coming out, but this is the one that brought him back and kept him on the map again. That's not, it's really hard for actors to make a comeback after they disappear for a while. So like Michael Keaton was experiencing that, uh, Keanu Reeves is doing that right now. Robert Downey Jr. Downey Jr. Exactly. So I, I feel like John Travolta qualifies for this. I don't know about you guys. I mean, he does because shortly after he came out with Get Shorty, which mm -hmm. um, that came out like right after that. And then he started, I mean, what is the name of it? The one where he plays the the angel or whatever. Michael. Michael. He came out with Michael after that. He did Michael. He did Get Shorty. He did yeah. Broken Arrow with Christian Slater. He did um, the Face Off. Line. Yeah. Face Off. So. Primary Colors. So I, I think this is his apex because did this movie? I, I don't know. <laughs> Look at Jader making those faces. <laughs> um, phenomenon, phenomenon too. I forgot that like that he gets powers and shit. Phenomenon, yeah. I was like, what was the other one that he's not an angel, but he's something about a phenomenon. No. <laughs> what about King yeah. Rames? Yeah. This is the thing. So for me, I was I was teeter tottering between Rames and Tarantino on this, not not Travolta. Um, let's, let's get back to Tarantino after that. Let's do Ving Rames real quick though. Does he qualify for this? He absolutely does qualify, but this is the thing: you have him um, in mission in the Mission Impossible films. Yes, he's a side character, but those movies are huge. Mm -hmm. You get me? Um, and I also what my favorite Ving Rames performance for me is, and I know this one's better, but Con Air. As 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 Diamond Dog, man, he he's just so great in that movie. And I know you haven't seen it, Kyle, and and we need to cover it because you need to see Con Air. It's the cheesiest, like do I? it's so good, man. It's so <laughs> good. Nardo, how do you you seen Con Air? Of course, I've seen Con Air. Right, but it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I like. I, it's one of the few, like, well, no, it's not one of the few because there's a lot of fucking Nicolas Cage movies that I'm like, all right, we're watching this again. <laughs> like, <laughs> and he doesn't he doesn't he go off to like being Guardians Ch -ch 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 of the Galaxy? So like, there's that. He's in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy two real quick. Yeah, real, but that's yeah. what he at least he got into the Marvel universe. <laughs> <laughs> um, Plus, was Nick Cage technically? Yeah. <laughs> technically, Nick Cage started in DC. And that's well, a he, and that's a Kevin. It Smith never, deep it cut. never came out. It never came out. It doesn't count. <laughs> but but John Depp made it come out, and that so it still counts. Like it's canon. It's there. It's, um, it's there. What about Tarantino though? So you were saying Tarantino, Jader. I had him written down with a question mark next to it because this I, is the thing. For me, this is his apex meaning because it's my favorite Tarantino film, and again, it teeter totters between two of them. But I also feel like it isn't because he's just he, he's on another level, man. Like, but if you were to give Tarantino an apex, where would it be? You get me? Like, I feel like it, it's it's a hard question, man. Because many can argue that yes, he comes out with great films, 
but nothing has topped Pulp Fiction for a lot of people, you know, and a lot of people think it's Inglorious Bastards. A lot of people think it's Res- uh, you're not Reservoir Dogs. Uh, I would say uh, Django. Kill Bill. I would say Kill Bill at right before. Okay, so before. So we got to talk about before um, Django and before um, before um, uh, fucking Nazi. So movie. you would think that Kill Bill <laughs> is the epitome. Yes. Only that be- that is the top Tarantino. I don't think so. I I, I would have to strongly Only disagree with you. During you got to think about the climate. You got to think about the way Hollywood was at the time. First of all, his second film was again a thousand times better, or so people feel than his first. So it was like okay, he was already the kid that surpassed his first film, right? Like he he did this like amazing project, and then he went off and did something even more amazing. So when people were waiting for Kill Bill. They're already foaming at the mouth. Not as much as they were for Pulp Fiction because they're they're so close together. How long did it take them to do Kill Bill? It took them a while. Like for that movie to come out, it took a, a while. We were in high school, and that movie. That came movie out. came out in two thousand and three. Exactly. So we're talking yeah, about. So we're talking about a nine year difference. But no, he, he had a film. But between. that's but that's what I'm saying. Huh? People were waiting with enough anticipation that the nine year difference didn't make a difference in sales. Didn't make a difference in who wanted to see it. Didn't make a difference in the popularity at the time. No, but he had he had films in between. He had Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown, yeah, yeah, but, he had Jackie uh, Brown. But in between. Jackie Brown wasn't like people didn't really consider it as. I like, was one of them. Thing. I love that movie now. I love, I love that, that movie. movie. But exactly. honestly, you said the key word now. He, I would, the only reason why I say this is because Kill Bill hit to the times in a really good way. First of all, amazingly cast of people that were relevant at the time, as he does with most of his films. But for a nine-year gap to still know who fits characters well, that's a lot. Especially considering that he only brought back two people that he works with, but one you didn't really know until later. Right. Um, and I'm and again, I'm I meaning in terms of like he brought back Uma Thurman, obviously, but then uh, people that were in the, the crew, you didn't know who they really were until later and, and enough of their stories until Kill Bill 2. Um, and then on top of that, it was his first film that he turned into a sequel. Yeah. A lot of people weren't anticipating that they were like, oh, it's Kill Bill. But then it was like and it wasn't Kill Bill one and two split it because he couldn't do a movie that long. And even though he after before Kill Bill two he had um I want it was in between um um the double feature was Grindhouse in between or was it after two? Uh, no, Grindhouse was in two thousand and five. Okay, so it was right after one and then and then two. It right? was literally Kill Bill one came out in two thousand and three. Kill Bill two was in two thousand and four. It was the year after, and then the Grindhouse was in two thousand and five. Okay, so then that's the thing. So like for me, I. I only give him at that time because I feel like he was at his biggest. And you also have to think about other things that were really big at the time. Like we're talking about now MTV Movie Awards was 10 times bigger. All this, you know, like we're talking about social media culture starting to come up. And he was one of the first people to really capitalize on that. So that's why I'm going to give him the credit for that time for me. I'm going with Inglorious Bastards as his apex mountain. And here's why. What do we think of when we think about Quentin Tarantino? We think about his dialogue, the violence, and um, his, uh, his, well, first of all, the dialogue, obviously, in Glorious Bastards, it's some of the best dialogue he's ever written. That opening scene, like you pointed out before, Jader, is, it's so scary how he builds it's that scary. scene. It's scary. It's Absolutely. very, and then also with Glorious Bastards also, that's the first film that gave uh, him an actor, got an actor a win for an Oscar 
because of his film. So Christoph Waltz got the win because of Inglorious Bastards. So you have that in there. He was able to direct somebody to an Oscar win. And then finally, what's one of the biggest things we know Tarantino for at this time? His revisionist history. And this was the first time he did it. And it was incredible. Like we loved watching Hitler die in a movie theater. Cinema killed Hitler. Like it's, it's something yeah. that's really, it's really neat. So, and so also I think it's the film that's given him the best chance at winning best picture at an Oscar. I'm pretty sure this one was right there in contention. It was 2009. So it elusive a heart locker or no. Oh, was no, 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 no. Uh, fuck. I don't know. What, what could that have been? Um, Oh gosh, two thousand. I think two thousand. Oh, wasn't like, it Slum? What? No, Slumdog was two thousand seven, right? Yeah, yeah. It was like the two thousand. Let me look it up. Two thousand nine Oscars. Hold it wasn't up, Life of, It wasn't Life of Pi. <laughs> it lost. It wasn't Life of Pi? I wouldn't know. No, it was two thousand eight. Was Slumdog? Yeah, that's what I mean. So I think it was Hurt Locker, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was Hurt Locker. You might be right. Wasn't that the same year? That's the same year as um. Yeah, the Hurt Locker. Oh, the Hurt Locker Precious, Precious was out that year. I remember that. Um, yeah. I know the Blind Side up was in out. The air, yeah. Up in the air, up the Blind Side, District Nine. Um, was the was, Hurt, who was the Hurt Locker directed by again? What's her name? Catherine Bigelow. Bigelow. Yeah, Bigelow. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was the Hurt Locker. I don't know, um, man. I, I if I look if I have to choose one out of the hurt her out of the hurt locker and glorious bastards it's tough for me because I feel like the hurt locker is underrated now that movie is super tense and one of the more more gritty depictions of war that I've seen that isn't about like the big battles it's about kind of the like about war being addicted to it some of these soldiers being addicted to that thrill that adrenaline. I think that movie's great. So I would give it the win there, but Inglorious Bastards is my favorite Quentin Tarantino film, and I think it qualifies for his Apex Allen. Um, finally, it's you can't, about- it, It's hard to argue that, like I said. Yeah. It, those are my two top, and it depends on the day you ask me. If you ask me today, you know I'm saying Pulp Fiction, you ask me two weeks from now, I'll, I'll probably be like Inglorious Bastards. It's the two that always switch for me. Three, four, I- five is usually where they're, where they, where they're at, but one and two always switch for me. They always do because I, I just I think I love them both just equally. I love them both so much. So well, let's talk about Samuel Jackson real quick too. Is this his apex mountain? Because I know he's always been in the public consciousness. He appears in everything. He's a super popular guy, and I think most people probably know him as Nick Fury. But it's either Nick Fury or this. I mean, it's I'll give him this. To be honest I with you, I'll give him, him his Apex Mountain. Absolutely. Yeah, because this was yeah. his only Oscar nomination. This was uh, – he he put himself on I mean, the map. It's, it's, it's no negotiator. It's no negotiator, but yeah. – <laughs> The negotiator. All I, right. I like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one, guys. Uh, who won the movie? When you walk away from Pulp Fiction, who won the film? Let's start uh, – let Let's just throw it out there. I think there's two people we can talk about here, and that's Tarantino uh, and Samuel L. Jackson. I think those are the two I that was are... gonna, That's what I was going to say. I was like, uh, Samuel L. Jackson. And... I, I think I go with him, too. Yeah. Tarantino or Samuel? Samuel Jackson. I think I go with Sam Jackson. because I think I'd go with you... Sam Yeah, again, it's the same argument. We literally just had kind of like the same argument 
uh, with Apex and who won the film. It's kind of the same thing where we can say that it can't be Tarantino because obviously uh, winning the film would be, um, you know, you're going to talk about bastards. But another per another person, honestly, that you can bring this, that bring into this conversation by winning the film is also John Travolta, man. Well, yeah, we got um, someone in the chat saying Travolta won the movie. Yeah. It's someone we can go. talk about. I'm in, the, I'm in the private chat. Hold on. <laughs> uh, someone said Butch. It's not Butch. It's definitely not Butch. It's, it's yeah, not no, I mean, you can argue Travolta as well, man. What a fucking comeback to have any like like this. And you mentioned it yourself with your, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s and your, uh, I forgot the other actors you mentioned. But Michael Keaton, Keanu Reeves. Michael Keaton comebacks man like yeah we keanu reeves like what a hell of a comeback man and again after travolta did this it he just you just kept seeing travolta all over again constantly yeah, you know? yeah. and he kills it as vincent love seeing it at the end that's when you're like what the hell when you start when it goes back the i shot uh, i mean i just shot marvin in the face he's back so with the wolf the end where he's just like you know i'm just gonna shoot this guy i'm gonna shoot you out of oh no i'm gonna shoot this guy at a principal at the end so, like, um, right and i agreed so the only reason why i don't give it to john travolta instead of samuel jackson is because going back to like character building and character stories samuel jackson comes full circle and that's something that you it's rarely gets it like i feel like quentin tarantino always picks one or two people to do that in his films not everybody's gonna make it to the end and certainly nobody's gonna make it into full circle meaning like you started at one place and you're gonna start in a completely different area entirely if we think about inglorious bastards um we do see that in um great you just said his name and escaping me that's i'm telling you guys you you encroached on my bedtime so like it's starting to lose shit and christopher and christopher 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 you do see him come full circle because he goes from you know, ultimate Nazi hunter and all this stuff to like, no, 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 but I'm still going to cut a deal. And I think that that shows a full circle of him. But if we look at something like Pulp Fiction, Samuel Jackson's the only person that starts way over here and actually ends way over here by giving up the life and just shutting everything down, especially if we think of the way he closed out the film, right? He yeah. is beyond capable to take down those two individuals. He is... And the fact that he even proceeds to say, you're catching me on a great day. On a good day. And, yeah. and he ends it there. He doesn't, he, he doesn't question anything. He doesn't, he's still himself also, even though he feels like he experienced something very different. But he's also the only character who you can actually believe would let go of the life. And that's probably why Vincent ended up dying. Because, you know. Yeah, because he didn't have jewels there. He didn't have his jewels. Absolutely. So I, the I got jewel one more. Film. I got one more question. What's the most iconic image from this film? Is it the Mia Wallace on the bed? Is it John Travolta and Samuel Jackson with the two guns? Or is it with just the two guns? Yeah. yeah. Or is it just the logo Pulp Fiction? Well, I had the poster of the two guns over my kitchen table because it was only appropriate because it happened in the kitchen. And I would always <laughs> sit on the hot seat where they were pointing the guns <laughs> you were at me. The guns. It was always you were, you were you were Brad. You were Brad. Um, yeah. But um, you see, I wouldn't, I would say, yes, those are iconic images. But to me, I also would love to have seen um, when they open the briefcase for the first time and you just see half of John Travolta's face and you see the gleam in it. Yeah. And, he, and that is like a good shot to me too. I also really like um, 
when they when they pan over to Bruce Willis waking up from doing the knockout. Uh, ding yeah. ding. Yeah. Yeah, the ding ding because you see the ding ding again. Yeah. When he wakes up. No, for me, there. for me, it has to be it has to be the uh, the cover with the uh, with uh, Uma Thurman like. Mm -hmm. That's the image that I think of every time you think Pulp Fiction. It was perfect. It was, you know, it's the reason why it's the cover of the film. Everywhere you go, like you said, uh, I mean, cottage dorm room. If you go to any place that has any type of Pulp Fiction memorabilia, that's the first picture you're gonna see. So for me, it was, uh, it's definitely yeah, that one. Co college dorms have three movie posters on them. They have Pulp Fiction. They have uh, Scarface. And I think now they have Joker on their walls. Those are the three that I think college kids are putting on their door. Oh, Jay, you're just looking. <laughs> like, I have Joker. I have Joker and Goodfellas. <laughs> Goodfellas is also one. You know? You're so right. They do have Scarface. I'm like, they still have fucking Scarface? <laughs> I know. You know what's crazy? Like, and I, and I absolutely love Scarface. I think that movie's great. But like, compared to like other mobster films, it used to be my number one growing up. I thought that was the greatest mobster movie I ever made. Because you but look like a cooker. <laughs> but it's one of those things that slowly as i started getting introduced to other ones like it it's and then it's you think of, and too. then you think about your culture and you're like no, no. <laughs> that's not right, that's not right. Yeah. <laughs> even though even though if you saw tiger king you met you met him if you saw tiger king you met the guy that was that that tony montana was based on no i haven't seen tiger king. yeah you haven't seen Tiger King? You I, haven't seen we've them. had this conversation. I've never seen it. I said I was not going to follow the hype, and I just never watched it. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> in it, you, you meet the marimbero that is that is based off him. Uh, Kyle, that's a Spanish for gangster. Yeah, he actually was somebody here in, in Miami, and he was like a, a drug trader and stuff like that, and he actually existed. Um, much tanner. All right. Well, yeah. that's going to do it for Pulp Fiction, guys. And that's going to do it for the Jader and Kyle show, episode 21. Uh, Nardo, it was a great discussion. Great having you on the show. What, I, love being here. I love being here. It was nice to be back. Yeah, feet wet again. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. They, we had we had a couple of people in the chat saying, can she be a regular guest? I automatically shut that shit down and said, fuck no. It was David. Go to, comment, go to the next comment. Go to the next comment. Go to the next comment right after that one. If it's oh yeah, yeah. Let me pull up. Have, he still doesn't have shit. <laughs> There's the response. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, no, yeah. Once again, thank you for joining us. Is there anything you want to talk about? You want to plug? You want to you know let people know where to find you? All that stuff. Well, um, current, well, since I switched jobs, I did start a new little social media that is directly only towards all the initiatives we're doing with schools. So really cool. I work now for Miami-Dade County Public Schools. Yay. And basically what I do is that I am a coach for a school that just got a grant for all Verizon iPads. Sorry, T-Mobile. Um, <laughs> yes. So we got, uh, the school got uh, teachers and students. Everybody gets iPads and I get to be the one that shows them how to do cool things on the iPad as far as the classroom, whether it's remote or brick and mortar. So I have something for that. That's Miss Nardo on Instagram. Um, <laughs> the other thing is, is that me and that, that would have been a huge sale for you. Right, that that would have been, except it's grant based, so like you don't make money. Um, <laughs> that worked for uh, me. Yeah, yeah. That worked for you. <laughs> but um, the other thing is that you know you may be some you may be seeing something pretty soon. I mean, uh, Shorty, uh, you know her as Stephanie, has been on the show before. There are some talks of things that well we've been talking for a year, and then the pandemic and 
So we're trying to get that going. And then, you know, me and Jader have also been in talks for other stuff too. But don't worry, don't worry, Kyle. I won't take them fully away. I won't take them fully away. You know, but there is stuff that we're kicking around. So just, you know, keep your ear to the ground and you will see us soon. All right. Uh, Jader, any final things you want to say? I'm tired. Tired, yeah. (laughs) That seems to be the trend as a a couple shows. But uh, no, man, I had a great time. Nardo, thank you so much. I know we we always give each other shit, but you know, it's all love. Um, I had a great time. I knew we were going to have this discussion. I was like, this has got to be a fast episode for XYZ reasons. And I knew it was going to happen. I <laughs> knew, knew, knew it was going to happen. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm tired. Uh, I'm looking forward to my next couple of days off, to be completely honest with you. I'm not going to be on the internet, nothing. Um, and uh, I can't even plug my match because I don't know when it uh, when it's supposed to air. So just be on the lookout for that. And that's it. And then tune in next week on the Jader yeah. and Kyle show. And uh, we might have a, a pretty big guest as well. So just keep your eyes out, guys. We're going to plan that out and see how everything goes. But uh, for this week, thank you, everyone, for joining us, for listening along, for watching along. We had a lot of you in the chat participating. Um, and we'll see you next you. time with another episode of the Jader and Kyle show.